We are live now on the Conversations That Matter podcast. I am your host, John Harris. I'm going to jump right into it after a quick word from a sponsor. And actually, the sponsor, uh, I'll just put it this way. It goes well with the episode. Um, I just want to let everyone know about Mud Hen Mama. Mud Hen Mama, that's one of the uh, sponsors uh, for this month on the Conversations That Matter podcast. Uh, they have curated lists of books that support biblical values, and they they even have them on issues like navigating abortion, LGBT uh, issues, that kind of thing. Um, it's not just for kids; it's also for adults. But uh, if you've ever wondered where you can find good Christian books, especially for kids, I'll be honest. I mean, kids and teenagers, a lot of the stuff that Christian publishers put out there are so terrible. And you think, well, you know, there's probably a few good nuggets in there. How do I find those? I'd have to wade through so much. If you go to mudhenmama.com, there's a whole list there of, of good books uh, to consider. And um, if you use the promo code Harris, you will get 10% off your purchase there. So the holidays are coming up. It's a good time to get gifts because uh, it's not just about homeschooling and, and good educational books. There's also uh, books here that will be uh, helpful for um, for for just you know entertainment value and uh, for for teaching lessons in a creative way. You can go to mudhenmama.com. Um, they also have curated lists for different ages, so you can search all of that. And and there's uh, you can get all your questions answered. You can contact them, uh, Michelle at mudhenmama.com. Uh, check them out. So wanted to uh, plug that. I, I appreciate the sponsorship and. You know, I also just think that um, we need to support more Christian businesses who are unapologetic about these issues, because let me tell you, the organization we're going to talk about today is very popular. In fact, I was part of it at one time and they have compromised, in my opinion, deeply on an essential uh, issue. Uh, and when I, I should say fundamental issue. It's a fundamental issue. Uh, you can't get this issue wrong. And yet uh, crew has gotten it wrong. And um just to give everyone a little bit of a background, I've been tracking crew stuff for quite some time. I started, I think it was in 2019. I watched almost their entire conference, uh, everything that was publicly available, including interviews that weren't public. They were, you know, private interviews that happened at the conference that crew put out. And I put a big montage together uh, of all of that. It was a woke fest. And then I had gone back and looked at some of their 2017 staff conference videos, and it was a woke fest. And uh, I um, was one of the instrumental ones, I, I, I suppose I could say. There, there were it wasn't just me, but I, but I was one of the people that was bringing uh, a lot of this stuff to light and bringing attention to it. And uh, since then, and, and this is obviously a very brief history because we need to get into the primary sources here soon. Uh, there were people in the organization. Uh, who didn't like what I said, didn't like what others were saying about them and tried to do damage control. And there was a group within crew of staff who were concerned who put together a great document uh, just chronicling, uh, chronicling where there was compromise on social justice matters. And it was then leaked by some leftist blogger. I think it was in England, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, from my understanding, and, and I don't know that this is across the board, but at least in some places, those who were part of that document were essentially punished for uh, being part of that effort to try to purify crew. 
And there's a lot more I can share that I want to save for future episodes, but uh, Crew has not really self-corrected. They have uh, done what a lot of organizations, I believe, have done, which is they're still on the same path. They're just going underground with it more so. And that's part of what I'm going to be showing you today. My, my suspicions about this were confirmed by uh, the documents that I'm going to be sharing with you uh, to some extent. And um, I'll, I'll show you this. I played this on the podcast just to, to open it up uh, once before, but I want to show you today. This is the strategy that I'm talking about. This was from, I believe, uh, I, I think it was a year ago or so. It was a, I think it was their winter, con one of the winter staff conferences. But anyway, I, I had listened to a number of the lectures and it, there was a few things here and there that were kind of woke, but nothing like 2019. But then I saw this and, um, and check this out. We've got some lunch tomorrow for everybody. Yes. Free lunch. We all get free lunch tomorrow. Chick-fil-A. This crowd is awesome. The Lord's chicken <laughs> will be in the house. The Lord's chicken will be here. So, okay, seriously though, seriously. So we have one, we have lunch for everyone, but there's two different locations. You can go to the lounge and grab it, or you can go to the Peacock Terrace, which is a fun thing to say as well. Um, the Peacock Terrace, where we will have our oneness in diversity lunch, okay? Crew has been on a journey really intentionally since about 2015, exploring how we can experience more oneness and diversity throughout our organization, okay? And the reality is, is that has personally challenged me a lot. Like it has put me on my own journey to better understand who I am and how I view my brothers and sisters in Christ, all my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I bet a lot of you have been on similar journeys over the last few years. I know this has been such a big topic. Um, and so we are gonna meet together in the Peacock Terrace. We will have lunch in there as well provided to discuss oneness and diversity in crew tomorrow. Yeah, we know that this topic may not be new to many of you. This is the topic that you live. Issues of ethnic diversity and cultural diversity are things that don't go away for some of us. Some of you guys might be coming into the lunch though and you feel super out of your depth. We wanna say, we want you guys to grab a chair, want you to grab some Chick-fil-A, we want you to chat about your ethnic and cultural diversity, or journeys and diversity while you're there. The most yes. important of your journeys. Yes. So the reality is though, truly, that we do need one another to reach the world for Christ. Amen, so, amen, yeah. yes. Okay, let me just say, there was one session that was not publicly available. I couldn't listen to it, and you can guess which one it was, it was this one. So. This is the thing that happened at Southeastern when there was uh, exposure to what they were doing with social justice. And, you know, did it stop? Well, students are no longer allowed to record in class. I mean, that's the kind of thing we see. And we're, we're in a phase right now where it's not the fireworks. It's not, you know, buildings being burned down and people on the streets. It's the institutional phase. These things are worming themselves into policies and deeper into the organizations. And that's really the problem that we have before us right now. How do you fight it when it's entrenched, when it has a hold? And it does have a hold in crew. We're going to talk about one specific issue today, though. We're going to talk about uh, LGBT uh, issues and uh, crews, their handling of, you know, and, and again, these college ministries, you know, crews uh, mostly known for that. There's going to be challenges, unique challenges on a college campus. But how are they handling that challenge? is the question. So 
Um, and I should probably mention for those who are listening and not seeing what I'm putting on the screen, uh, Doug Meeks for $5 said, former crew staff here and just contacted past two days with several crew staff about this document. So he knows the document, I guess, that I'm going to show. It's going to be more than one document, though. I don't have just one. So um, let's start. Uh, let's start here. This is. Let's see. I don't know why it's not coming up. Can everyone see that? Yeah, I think they can see it now. This is um, compassionate and faithful. And I'm going to show you two versions of it. This is from May 26th, 2023. And uh, it says, today we encounter a wide variety of questions related to sexuality and gender. These questions are both complex and personal. The purpose of this document as a reflection of our commitment to scripture as expressed in the crew statement of faith is to provide crew with staff with a biblical and theological framework to engage with LGBTQ plus questions. While this document addresses posture and theology, you will find answers to practical ministry questions, evangelism, discipleship, et cetera. So this is the document. And I've just highlighted some things. The highlights are, are from me. The rest of it, though, this is all crew. Um, so the uh, there's multiple versions uh, of this. And um, so this one says, and... and um, I think I'm getting this in order here. So, so this is this is the LGBT plus resources that crew sent out. This is to staff. Okay. So I'll just read you. It says the pastoral papers that, that are included in this, these pastoral papers that help you navigate these issues, LGBT plus issues, are selected from the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. Now, the, the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, for those who don't know, that is Preston Sprinkle's quote unquote ministry. Preston Sprinkle, I'm, I can't give you all the information in one video, but he's the guy that in a podcast a few months ago, I played, I actually, I think a whole podcast I devoted to an, an, an interview he did with someone who considered themselves transgender. And he was so compromised on it that I, I just thought this is unbelievable that this guy is being brought into Christian organizations and his material is being used. Well, one of those organizations is crew. So uh, for, for those who listen to the podcast, you'll know who I'm talking about when I say Preston Sprinkle. Now, um, with the exception of Compassionate and Faithful and the crew webinar, which I don't, I don't think I have the crew webinar, uh, which are exclusively for crew staff, you are welcome to share these resources. So these are all resources that can be shared, but there's the Compassionate and Faithful um, uh, document uh, you cannot share, uh, which we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but uh, actually what we'll do, I think is I will first show you internal stuff and then we'll go to public stuff. Okay. So here's, um, compassionate and faithful engaging in ministry that is compassionate towards people and faithful to scripture. It says on this, uh, that, uh, please note that including a resource below does not reflect any endorsement of all that the author or organization publishes or says, or might in the future. Please do not share it outside crew, the compassion, uh, what I'm showing you, <laughs> essentially. Now, this, um, as I understand it, from a crew staff, former crew staff, has ch been changed. That this, actually, this language was added because of some internal pushback. But if you go through the document, it's the same articles, it's the same pastoral papers, it's the same audiovisual resources, same books, you know, it, it's the same basic message. And we're going to talk about that message in a, in a moment um, that you get from this. Uh, Preston Sprinkle stuff, Rachel Gilson stuff, uh, affirming same-sex attraction, Nate Collins stuff. 
Uh, in fact, let me show you. Here's there, there's a video on here. I'll go to the audio video. I'll just give you a sample here. Um, one of these, I believe it is. Uh, God is making me whole, not straight. I think that's the one I'm going to play for you here. But this is one of the ones on the list uh, that Crew recommends and says you can share with people who you're ministering to. I have. That's not it. Hold on. <laughs> I'm going to get to that in a moment. Here it is. Who have gone into mixed orientation marriages and you know for various reasons it hasn't worked out and there are heartbreaking stories and so the biggest thing I wanted people to hear is that it is not the default solution there are good and godly vocations and patterns of living and choices that have nothing to do with marriage that are wide open for gay people to, to pursue and that, and that can be life-giving by far the most people that I've encountered are folks who, on the one hand, want to affirm their love for me, but who also feel this great sadness at the thought that uh, I won't be able to pursue a relationship that I desire. On the one hand, I'm, I'm touched by their, by their sadness and I appreciate uh, their sympathy for what has been at times for me a really, really painful journey. But I also long for my brothers and sisters in Christ to find a place in their hearts to celebrate with me the opportunities that I have as a celibate gay Christian. Okay, so you saw uh, Nate Collins there from Revoice, the person who started Revoice Conference, which is probably one of the most prominent uh, LGBT orientation affirming conferences in the quote-unquote evangelical world, and then Greg Coles who wrote Single Gay Christian. We reviewed that on the podcast. He even says he's, he's not really sure if same-sex weddings uh, are that big of a deal. I mean, because there's so many issues that are of greater importance, like predestination versus Arminianism and, th and that kind of thing. And, I, I, you know, it's just, it's a head-scratcher. But th there's the message. That's the message you're going to see throughout this is you can be gay, but you just, you know, those 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 desires aren't necessarily sinful, you just can't have a sexual relationship. You can't uh, give into those desires in a sexual way because that would violate scripture, but you can have this identity uh, 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 of in some way, right? I mean, that's kind of the whole premise of Revoice. So um, that's just, and, and that one, uh, what was that called? That's called um, Dear Church, I'm Gay. So Dear Church, I'm Gay uh, is the name uh, of that particular resource. And... Um, it, it is, I'm, I'm trying to, to find out what link I exactly clicked. It's actually on this one here. I'll show you. <clears throat> if people can see that. It's right, I don't know if people can see my pointer, but right under the audiovisual resources. That's just one of them. I mean, it, it is, I'm barely scratching the surface with this stuff. And it's just because it's so overwhelming. But they're... There's books by Preston Sprinkle, by Rachel Gilson. Um, you have uh, Wesley Hill right there. I mean, it, it's pretty much the who's who of that side B uh, kind of uh, theology. Now, um, part of the reason that I am doing this podcast, and I'm going to show you, I'm about to show you uh, internal stuff from Crew, is because this happened last Friday. This is Rosaria Butterfield at Liberty University, and here's what she had to say truth. Let me give you some examples. 
Have you ever heard that same-sex attraction is a sinless temptation and only a sin if you act on it? Or that people who experience same-sex attraction are actually gay Christians called to lifelong celibacy? Or that people who experience same-sex attraction rarely if ever change and therefore should never pursue heterosexual marriage? Or that sex and gender are different and that God doesn't care about whether men live as men and women live as women because all you need to do is grow in the fruit of the Spirit as though the fruit of the Holy Spirit can grow from sin. I have heard all of these lies and just in the last year from Christian ministries. And this is where I name names and I'm an English professor so I call this citing my sources. Revoice, Preston Sprinkle's Exiles in Babylon conference sponsored by his heretical Center for Faith, Sexuality and Gender and crew. I got the receipts, people. And I have believed these lies too, and not only as a Christian, and I have repented publicly as a Christian in my book to you in articles, and these people can do the same. Okay, so th that's the message. It's a great message. It's a bold message. Uh, it's a message you need to hear more and more from people, especially people like Preston Sprinkle, like Greg Coles, like Rachel Gilson. These are all people that she's inviting to do what she's done and, and repent and say, you know what? I used to say this. I This is wrong, though. I should never have taught this. And, and Preston Sprinkle, I think, has gone farther than Rosaria ever did. But in fact, I think Rachel Gilson has too. <clears throat> and so I think as Nate Collins and... So, but, but the point is though, she's saying, join me, join me. And you could hear the audience. They cheer, uh, for her to name names. And then when she says crew, there's this kind of hushed, Ooh, that goes over the audience. Now there is a crew chapter at Liberty university. There's probably a lot of people in that room who are planning on going, uh, on staff at crew somewhere else. I mean, crew, crew is big in the evangelical world. So, um, so anyway, th that's what happened. That's what prompted this whole thing. And that's what prompts me to show you what I'm about to show you. So this is a um, document. Now I'm going to see if I can zoom out here to show you. Th this is something I'm going to make available to everyone. I, I thought about where I was going to put this. I'll probably just put it on like a Google Drive or something and, and put the link out there. Uh, on my social media account. So if you follow me on social media, you will have access to this this afternoon. Um, but uh, this is th th these are crew internal documents, crew's approach to LGBTQ plus questions and HR resources. So we're going to start here and I'm going to have to zoom in a bit. There's um, the way I put this together on PowerPoint. And so uh, it's kind of like, a, I think it's 16 by nine. So, it, but it's small print. So, um, start off here. This is um, Crew's approach to LGBTQ plus questions, uh, and it starts off by saying this: the content on these pages is intended as a resource for crew staff. In order to protect the ministry of staff at the local level, please do not copy content or share your organizational document with ministry partners, pastors, or friends. So this stuff is, is stuff that you're not supposed to share, I guess, with your pastor, uh, apparently. This is, um, this is all stuff that uh, Crew's putting out there, though, giving to their staff, okay? 
just so you understand uh, what's going on here. Um, so here's a section of it. It's called Creation, God's Good Design. And you can see Preston Sprinkle is uh, cited here as a source. Uh, under the heading Sex and Gender in the Creation Story, it says this, as it relates to male and female, the main categories of Genesis 1 through 2 is biological sex. The creation account doesn't directly address gender, the social and cultural ways in which we live out our maleness or femaleness in the world. We should affirm the goodness of the sexual difference God created by living clearly as male and female while showing appropriate flexibility in line with the Bible in what it may look like to express being male or female in our various cultural settings. If you go to the there's a uh, it, it, there's a citation there. If you go down, it says gender is often viewed in terms of identity and expression. You already have a fundamental problem because this is one of the tenets of the LGBT plus movement is uh, that gender and sex are different things that um, gender is a, a uh, that now I mean, some of them are saying even sex is a social construct, but but gender is what they often use. Gender is a social construct. So we can deconstruct the uh, the, the gender roles that we have in society, for example, and I think it even gives this example, you know, women are the ones who mainly cook. So they'll cite that and say, well, there's exceptions. There aren't there cases where the men cook. Why, why should the women cook? Why? Right. And, and that's just a gender stereotype. And instead of asking a better question, which is why, <laughs> why in Christian societies is in general, are women the ones who tend to be the cooks? Well, it doesn't mean that it's across the board, a legalistic standard you must apply. But why is that the general trend? Why is that the role that's often get? And it's, it's easy answer because they're a Christian conception of women is their work is in the home. That's the Proverbs 31 woman. Yes, of course, she engages in business for her home. Uh, that's that's what we even see with the instructions for older women to younger women. Uh, teach them how to be homemakers, essentially. So. This th that's part of the reason the the man is out there working the woman's at home and she's taking care of the, the children if they have children she's cooking they, I mean th this is now controversial somehow but there's a reason that role developed the way it did <laughs> and it's and and a better question is why and is that a good overall role there of course there's exceptions to things but the what what you see often is an attempt to deconstruct all of this and then to even go a step further and say well hey how. How come women uh, are the only ones who can wear dresses? I mean, Scottish people wear kilts as if that's even comparable, right? And, and so, you know, hairstyles, earrings, whatever the case may be, it, it gets into all these other areas and it deconstructs the, um, the affirmation that society gives to the difference between genders because that's what those things are. It's a signal that I'm in this category, all right? with the responsibilities and the obligations that are uh, part of that. So, um, yeah, well, I think, I think Doug Meeks has already brought up, I think I already hopefully answered this. It, yes, there, there's work there. She engages in business though, on behalf of her home. Um, <clears throat> so she's not outside her, her husband's the one that sits at the gates, but anyway. Um, so, so this is, I actually have to move along a lot faster here because I'm just realizing I've already, already been going over 20 minutes and this is, uh, quite the document. So, um, let, let me, uh, get through some more territory here and maybe you won't agree with all my assessments on this, but you're going to have to admit there is a problem somewhere. Um, here is, uh, the, the, the next section, uh, the fall, 
the corruption of God's good design. And so I want to read for you this. It says, before we discuss the impact of the fall on one's sexuality, it is important to remind ourselves that those of us who experience same-sex attraction and or gender dysphoria are image bearers who possess great dignity and worth in God's sight. We are friends, co-workers, and family members. Faithfulness to scripture involves embracing not only the Bible's sexual ethic, but also the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. Our posture is one of compassion and humility. It is also important to acknowledge that the conversion around the conversation around sexuality is emotionally charged and can be painful. Now you may ask, John, what's the problem with that? We're supposed to be compassionate. And I, I only bring this up as one representative example. I'll probably show you a few more, but it, I can't show you all of it because it's chalked throughout the document. I would say half the document is this kind of language. It, 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 it at least a third of it. I mean, it is just uh, the nuance and the winsomeness. And I mean, it uses the word complexity and nuance quite a bit in the document. And it's like, you got to be so careful about this topic, right? You have to show so much compassion. You can't even start the conversation unless you have this super humble, super willing to listen, super passive kind of posture that you take. The thing that I wanted to point out about this is, would they say this about anything else? Is any other sin in this category? Would they? Um, how about something that crew is very concerned about, right? Uh, racial insensitivity. Being insensitive to someone because of their racial makeup. Would crew put out documents saying or language that says, you know, when you got someone who's a quote unquote white supremacist, you have to be so careful and loving and understand where they're coming from. And no, they don't. In fact, what they'll do, and you're going to find this throughout this document, I'll, I'll show you some examples, is they will condemn. They'll say, basically, be quick to condemn people who have hard and fast gender stereotypes. Be quick to condemn them or people who engage in homophobia. Be quick to condemn them. Be quick to condemn that. Be slow, ever so slow. It might be years sometimes. And what, I'll, I'll show you an example here soon. It may be years before you can... Um, really uh, get someone to, to do something like even change the way that they think of themselves as far as their pronouns are concerned. I mean, it, it is slow as molasses when it comes to that and, and, and on eggshells and tiptoeing when it comes to this issue, which I would suggest to you, it should be, if any issue should be knee-jerk reaction, that's wrong, it should be this. That Does that mean you're compassionate, not compassionate? No, you can still be compassionate, but you need to be upfront with this is the truth. You're in sin. What you're doing is sin. Your lifestyle is sin. Your identity that you're taking is sin. All of this is sin. Think about yourself according to God's standard, not according to the lies you've been fed from the world or the flesh or the devil or all three. So um, this, I think, is the, the, the way it's framed to me is the more important thing. You're going to see things in here that directly contradict what the Bible teaches, but I think the way it, it's framed is the poison pill. This is the thing crew can't recover from because if you're constantly, whatever the world says and, and approves of, if you're constantly in this kind of defensive mode where you can't really engage it directly, you have to be super slow about it and super um, uh, just, I guess, passive. And, and it just seems wimpy to me, but it, you have to do this. Like everything's cushioned with that first that's Pandora's box. It just means that on the things the world is concerned about, you can be upfront, you can be direct, but on the things that the world is, um, is, you know, defending and encouraging, you can't. So you let the world dictate how you view these issues. That is, I think the main issue with all of this, in my opinion.
So um, it says marriage is always represented throughout scripture as a male female union. That's good. And that's one thing I do want to make uh, clear. They are clear on that. And if you're a, someone who's a donor who calls them, they'll probably be quick to tell you, oh, we believe marriage is between a man and a woman. Yes, of course. I mean, it is an evangelical organization. It is very hard for them to ditch that. But I think in time, if they keep going down this path, they will. Um, moreover, same-sex sexual expression is explicitly prohibited both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, good. It also says, though, and this is about same-sex attraction, it is important to distinguish the experience of same-sex attraction from acting on it in thought, word, or deed. So, so apparently you can experience something without acting on it in thought, word, or deed. Okay. Simply having such desires should not be a cause of condemnation or shame. Okay, so you shouldn't have shame if you have same-sex attraction desires for someone of the of the same sex, the way that you would for someone of the opposite sex that you might intend to marry. You shouldn't be ashamed of that. Some of us have spent hundreds of hours praying for God to remove these attractions to no avail. So, so instead of citing a scripture there, it's an experience that look at all these people who have prayed and their prayers haven't been answered. And some of us have experienced such animosity from other Christians. So, so, so you, there, there's this sort of like oppressed thing going on here. There, there's a victim and you're reinforcing the victimhood if you do not accept this orientation language. Here's another section, the fall. Uh, again, this is part of the fall, the corruption of God's good design. It says, to our same-sex attraction, others of us attest that our experience of same-sex attraction arose spontaneously and without choice, similar to the pattern experienced by people in opposite sex attraction. Or if you remember uh, in when gay marriage was uh, being pushed, initially, that's the same argument they use. They say, well, we never chose this. So if you never chose it, then somehow that makes it acceptable. And put the shoe on the other foot. Would you do this with other sexual uh, expressions that are viewed as taboo? Would you do this? And I'm not saying they're the same thing, but but would you do this? They're in the same category in the sense, though. Um, is it okay to justify something like bestiality, right? Peter Singer on Twitter just put something out there saying, well, in some cases you can have this this attraction and, and that's fine. And would you justify that? Would you justify pedophilia based on this? I mean, you, I didn't choose it. So therefore we can have this, these attractions, uh, as long as we don't, uh, you know, as long as we, we don't engage in it, we can have the feelings or, or have the attractions because, because they didn't arise from us. Um, the question is, where do they arise from then? I mean, is it God? If it's not sin, where did it come from? Because people can identify as transgender for various reasons, it is best to never assume you know why someone has adopted that identity. There's a lot of this kind of language. Um, I, I would just say to that that um, the Bible gives us clear direction on why someone might do this. And it, it comes back to something actually very simple. It comes back to sin and rebellion against the created order. That's what Romans 1 is about. It's not something that um, you, you have to just, well, I, I can't, I'm not an expert. I don't know enough about it. I haven't asked enough people. I haven't gotten their story. Therefore, I can't jump to conclusions about what might have caused it. We know what caused it, right? And there's different flavors and different approaches and different ways, and you can have compassion and you can counsel that person, but we still know the root issue is sin. And, and that's what, the, the, what you won't find in this. Um, here's uh, the section on redemption, beginning to recover God's good design. He consistently treated people, male and female, with dignity and honor, especially those on the margins. This is Jesus. And, you know, Preston Sprinkle uses this a lot in his uh, teachings that, look, Jesus 
he, he went for those people who were cast out from society, just like the LGBT people are cast out from the church. And it, it, let's be real with the world that we live in. And especially if you're on a college campus, the people who are in vogue, the people who don't have to worry about being discriminated against, quote unquote, are people who have this identity at this point. OK, they are a protected class law. Guess who is not protected? Guess who the people on the margins are today? Yeah. I mean, it's Christians. Uh, it's people that are, you know, anti-Semites. It's we, we, here. Here's a good thing uh, to th consider. We crew put out, put out a document on anti-Semitism and the whole document is this tiptoeing and well, Jesus talked to people on the margins and anti-Semites are certainly on the margins. So we should, well, the thing is we should talk to those people. They need the Lord. They're also humans. They're made in God's image. All of that stuff is true, but there would, I'm sure that the messaging on this would be more of a quick condemnation. That's what you saw from crew in 2020. It was, it was condemn racism, right? Condemn the racists. They're, they're the problems. But when it comes to, um, to this, no, no, no. And, and the Bible is infinitely more clear <laughs> in my opinion. In, there's more information in the Bible about this than there is supposed quote unquote racism. Okay. Um, Jesus singleness here. And here's the, 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 the second step when using Jesus first, he, he reached out to the people on the margin. Secondly, his singleness also challenged his social and religious context, which taught that divine blessing resided, especially in marriage and begetting children. So here, here's Jesus challenging these stereotypes, challenging what culture says. Culture says that you should get married and have kids. But Jesus says that through his example, uh, that there's, uh, that, that, that not necessarily, that, that's not divine blessing, uh, I guess. Um, uh, it's the divine blessing doesn't reside in marriage and begetting children, you know, to which I would quote Ecclesiastes nine, nine, which says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your futile life, which he has given you under the sun, all the days of your futility for this is your reward in life and in your work, which you have labored under the sun. I mean, that certainly seems to me like that's a divine blessing, but um, apparently not. And, and it, you know, it discounts the fact that Jesus had a special mission. He had a special um, calling and a, a singleness that complemented that calling. It's a unique situation. And there are others in unique situations. That doesn't mean it's the normal pattern. Uh, Jesus taught about marriage. He reinforced marriage. And of course, all of the words of scripture are from Jesus. The creation norm is that a man shall leave his mother and father cleave to his wife, that they shall be fruitful and fill the earth. That is the creation norm. Okay. Yes, there are, of course, there's infertile couples. Of course, there's people who don't get married. Of course, there's people who uh, have a gift of singleness. Of course, there are these things, but that is not the norm. And that's where the focus should be. There should be an expectation that most people are going to get married, not shy away from that. And that is a blessing. That's a blessing from the Lord. Children are a blessing from the Lord. So anyway, it says Jesus Christ created a, I just wanted to highlight that this language is also in there, created a multi-ethnic community without national borders, the church. Um, and then it goes on and on about the, I mean, and crew really wants to dial up that, you know, it's this uh, kind of racially integrated uh, community that you can be part of. I mean, that's appealing to, I guess, you know, even social justice types and college campuses. But the word community probably isn't the best word. It's an institution. It's a it's an institution that happens to be multi-ethnic. That's not its primary like distinctive. But um, yeah, of course, it's from every tribe, tongue, nation. But it, as a, it's not a community in the sense of like a um, it's not like a um, a community where you live in tangible earthly reality. And 
you uh, you have people with different languages and there's no national borders. I mean, I, I, I go to a church right within the United States, within a certain state, within national borders. I don't have the option of of doing something otherwise. Right. So it, 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 it uses these buzzwords, the, the, this language that's appealing, but it doesn't really clarify or help make sense of what the church actually is. It, they're the universal church uh, exists across time and space. Uh, and uh, there, in the culmination of it, you're, there is going to be people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. But it doesn't. I would you would never say, and you don't find this language in scripture where it's a multi-ethnic community without national borders. Um, you know, it, that's certainly not the local church, right? But even the universal church, uh, it's it, it doesn't like wash away all the all the distinctions that exist out there. And and, and if you read the rest of this, it certainly gives you that impression. And, and I, you know, I, I, I've noticed this before, and I think this is the only reason I bring that up. Uh, you know, some of you might think that's not on topic, but it's on topic in my mind for this reason, because so often Christians, I find, want to dial up the areas where they think they can somehow find a link that connects their message and their beliefs to what the world already believes. And so if they are on the outs when it comes to they believe in biblical sexuality when it comes to marriage, which crew does, they don't think marriage should be uh, between anything more than a man and a woman, then you're already got a target on your back. So, you know, how do you try to gain approval? Well, you, you'll dial up those areas where you think you might have some agreement. So on, on the race stuff, you dial that up and then, you know, you can join with the world against the quote unquote uh, racists out there or white supremacists or anti-Semites or whatever. And, and, and I, I just seen that strategy and I, I, I'm picking up that same kind of vibe from uh, this document. Um, maybe I'm nitpicky, maybe, but I've just, I've seen so much of this that I've read so many books that I've just noticed that trend. And so I want to point it out. All right. So here's some more meat for you. Redemption, beginning to recover God's good design. Most of us, it says, however, uh, will continue. Most of us who experience same-sex attraction will continue to experience same-sex attraction throughout our lives while ex still experiencing growth and joy as we steward our sexuality in holy and healthy ways. Well, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. Yeah, the vast majority of us, I guess, most of us, we're just going to keep, uh, we're going to experience this. We're going to have same-sex attraction throughout our whole life. But, you know, the encouragement supposedly is we can steward our sexuality in holy and healthy ways. I mean, how, how does that work exactly? So you can, I mean, yeah, of course you're supposed to resist temptation when it comes up, but, uh, this is, this is like a, it is a black pill, right? This is like telling people that, yeah, I mean, I know we have the Bible, we have the Holy spirit, you have Christ, but you know, you're still going to probably experience that same sex attraction. Why not? Why not pray, you know, Lord, please take this from me and expect that he will in his time. And that and fight it, starve the flesh as much as you possibly can. And that's going to be where you experience the growth and joy. That's kind of the point. It's not that you experience the growth and joy um, as you kind of learn to live with the same sex attraction. No, you experience the growth and joy as you put it to death, as you overcome it through Christ. That's that's the whole that's the message of the Bible, right? Is that sanctification? A relationship with Christ will change the way a person lives, but it may not change the nature of their temptation or their experience of sexual brokenness. Okay, why not? Why not? Isn't that exactly the thing it should change? It's so hard. Okay, yeah, lots of things are hard. Um, 
you you I may have this temptation my whole life. Okay, you there there may be a weak spot there because of previous history and experience and whatever uh, circumstances. Um, but you should be changed. Your desire should be changing as you become closer to Christ. You don't want the kinds of things you used to want. Um, he he's perfecting a work in you. That's kind of the point. Be be not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, th- so it's not like, well, you're always going to be kind of conformed to the world in this one area. Why? Why? That, that's directly against uh, the, the, the message that Scripture gives us on these things. I'm, I'm going to keep going. We have, uh, I'm probably about half done with this document, and then I have some other things that are public to show you. But I'm just going to go to the comments to see if there's any questions uh, that uh, people have. Um, let's see. Yeah, I think I think some of the questions I've actually already addressed that are in the thread, so no need to go through them. Um, D- Doug Meeks is uh, saying that crew is not saying that you won't see growth, but that you may not see full deliverance from it. I would say that is uh, uh, a charitable reading bordering on um, put, putting words there that crew did not say but we wish they said um because here's the thing about it the language that crew uses in this is very specific um they're they're creating the impression from the get-go that most people that's the word they used who experience this will always experience it that's what they're doing they're creating a it's it's a black pill from the beginning instead of you know, stop focusing on us and ourselves and our focus on what Christ has said, focus on his promises, focus on um, the deliverance that he gives, the power of the Holy Spirit, and then fight. That should be the focus. But they're starting off with a handicap and saying, well, yeah, hey, it is possible. <laughs> it is possible because some are not most. My, a minority of people may may have this. There may be an overcoming somewhere. But they're starting off with the whole assumption that most of you won't. And um, but you can still somehow continue to experience jo- growth and joy. And, and you can also steward your sexuality in holy and healthy ways while you have this. The, the only way you steward your sexuality in holy, holy and healthy ways is by overcoming it. That's the point. So I, I, I guess I'm repeating myself at this point, but I figured might as well um, might as well put that out there. OK. Um, there's one of the problems with this document and and i unfortunately i can't i wish i could just read the whole document for you but that would be we would be here for hours i'm i'm highlighting it and that's why i'm going to give you the source you make up your own mind about it you read it for yourself but here here are some of the things that stand out to me that's what i'm giving you the thing is you're going to find language some that that can support like like if you really want to believe that crew crew's not compromised crew's saying the right things you can you can mine for that in the document and find kind of what you want. You could start out with, well, they say marriage is between a man and a woman, right? And, and really like focus on that. And then you could go and find areas where they, you know, talk about, well, you, you, like, like for instance, the sentence I read earlier where um, it talks about your desire should be in conformity uh, to, to, you can, to Christ. You shouldn't have same-sex uh, desires essentially, but you will still have same-sex attraction. And it's this confusing, like, well, it can't be both. How is that possible? How do you have this orientation? But at the same time, 
you, you, you know, the desires are sin, but the orientation isn't, you're, you're going to focus if you want to defend crew on the things that seem like they are more orthodox. So, Hey, look right there. They said desire, uh, same sex attraction, uh, isn't sin, but they did say that uh, if you have that desire that, it, so, so th this is my point is that you have to, when you're looking at a document like this, especially something that's vetted by a national or international organization that's at the front lines in college ministry that, you know, has uh, all kinds of theologians and staff members who should know better working for them. This has to be airtight. This has to be helpful. It has to be good. It can't be confusing. And what I'm what I gather from this document is there's more politics than there is being represented. And you're going to find that way more as you get to the, the HR stuff. Um, it's a tiptoe around. We ha we're in a tight spot. We have people of differing convictions. And, and how do we go about navigating this? That's that's what I pick up from this document. So, um, you know, I, I do try to point out where I can the things that Cruz says that are true, but they most of what they uh, say on the issue of same sex attraction is not true. Um, it is it is false. So uh, let's keep going here. This is uh, practical ministry questions, discipleship. So this is actually, do we want to start there? Let me see here. Yeah, this is speaking with Christians. Okay, so this is what um, th this is what they're telling staff members. If you have Christians, okay, these are people who are born again. Uh, these are people who make a profession of faith. If you have them before you and you're discipling them, you're teaching them, how do you treat that? And this is where it gets interesting, more interesting to me. Because that should be a no-brainer, right? You're not interacting with the world. You're, this is in-house, right? So I can understand to some extent interacting with the world. There's some politics at play, and you got to figure, you got to choose your language wisely because uh, it's it's a minefield that you're on. But when you're in having an in-house discussion, you have the word of God. They both you both believe it's authoritative. Why would that be eggshell conversations? But it is for them. So how do we create safe communities where people can discuss their questions about sexuality? Um, every time you see sexuality, substitute racism and see if it works. I'm just, just a, an experiment. Uh, do not speak as if everyone in your movement will one day get married or speak in ways that suggest that marriage is a reward for faithfulness to Christ. Hmm. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. You wouldn't want to do that. Don't give people that impression, uh, that suggests that marriage is a reward for faithfulness to Christ. Well, it may not always be a reward, but like, like there's other rewards that Christ gives. Um, and you know, I don't know, like, <laughs> to, to, like marriage is a blessing. That's the thing. Like if you're, um, you could have worded, like, if you're trying to make a good point on this, you probably could have worded it a little differently and, and just said, you know, don't, don't make a marriage, the end all be all. And maybe that's what he's trying to say, but it's, uh, or whoever wrote it, but, but don't suggest that marriage is a reward for faithfulness to Christ. <sighs> It may be actually a reward for faithfulness to Christ. Obedience, because if that's part of God's design, and obedience is part of God's design, conforming to His design, then um, I mean that's what we just read Ecclesiastes on this. There, there is a reward in that. Uh, instead, speak in a balanced biblical way of the dignity and goodness of both paths: faithful singleness and faithful marriage. Highlighting the goodness of singleness is especially important in our culture, which is addicted to sex and romance. So don't highlight. <laughs> The, the goodness of, uh, or the, you know, don't highlight marriage as being a, a reward, but highlight the goodness of singleness. So, so there's sort of like a, and, and I've seen this broadly speaking, an emphasis shift 
to platforming the single person as um, a crew doesn't say they're the ideal. I I've seen that though, in, in some gospel coalition literature that they, they become like the ideal, like they're, uh, I mean, Jesus was single, Paul was single and you're, you're seeing a shift here. I think with what we're supposed to put emphasis on it's emphasis more in framing more than it is actual. Um, so like the time you allot to something or, or the, the prominent place you give something more than the actual words and what you're saying about that thing. So it says feature stories of disciples who experience same sex attraction and are thriving in Christ. Yep. So th those are the, you, you need to give people those kinds of narratives. That's what they need. I, I would like to suggest to you, actually the narratives people need, even if they say they experience this is they need narratives of, uh, people like Rosaria Butterfield, people who ex are, who, who do not have that, that, that orientation, who ha have uh, sacrificed, uh, or I, I should say have um, mortified their flesh and are living in a faithful marriage. That's the story you should platform. That's the, the submission to God's created design. Instead, it's platform stories of single gay Christians. Examine any ways that your movement might promote or reinforce unhelpful gender stereotypes. So, so that's what you need to police. You need to police those gender stereotypes. That, that would be the problem. Uh, this, and, and then it says, uh, consider in addition to traditional men's and women's Bible studies offering some mixed gender groups, this creates easier ways for some people to encounter and experience the gospel. It, at best, that's sloppy language. Experience the gospel. It, it's um, easier ways for some people to experience the gospel because it's in a mixed group. I mean, if you're experiencing the gospel, you're coming to salvation in Christ. Uh, you're and I mean, someone might say the benefits of that, too. But yeah. I mean, the good news is that of what Christ is, what Christ did for us on our behalf on the cross. That's the good news. There's not works attached to it. It's good news that Christ did. It's his work, not our work. And you can experience that work of Christ in easier ways if it's in a mixed group. I mean, does that not strike anybody as a little odd? Um, again, you have to ask, why do all these things? Why change things? Why emphasize th this messaging and not that? Why platform these stories and not those stories? Why? That's what you have to be considering in your mind. What's the end goal here? What are they trying to do? I think it's obvious what they're trying to do. Um, it says, uh, you have, ha you have had and will have individuals and in leadership in your movements who experience same sex attraction. So just, if you're in crew, I guess, just get used to that. You're going to have leadership, people in leadership who experience same-sex attraction. Limit your response. Uh, let's see. Take time to listen to their story personally. These, these are people who want to come out as gay or same-sex attracted. Listen to their story personally to the degree that they would like to share it. Limit your response to acknowledgement and empathy. So even if someone comes out as, I am homosexual, limit your response to empathy. So, so yeah, be hamstrung. Operate with a handicap. Uh, those parts of the Bible that would confront it, discard those initially that this does not allow the freedom to interact in the way that might be appropriate for the situation because it may be deserve a rebuke. It really may uh, reply with authenticity. It says, and make an effort to maintain the relationship be beyond this encounter. Yeah. Well, but what if the authenticity is you're in sin? Is, I mean, that's authentic. Um, th this is a bundle of unhelpful, somewhat contradictory in some places, pieces of advice, for crew staff. And, and to me, this is the point in the document. I think it's this page in the next one when I thought, well, this, th this, it confirms my suspicions that this stuff is, has made its way into the internal operations of crew 
they're not telling you this, that they have these specific protocols on the front side, but this is what's poisoning the organization from the inside. How do I respond to Christians in our movements who believe that scripture affirms commit, committed same-sex relationships? So scripture is clear that same-sex sexual relations are outside God's will. So that's good. Um, it says, uh, but then it, it says, many people are drawn to the affirming view because of its compassionate stance and care for people. We acknowledge this and grieve together the ways that some Christians who have held the traditional biblical view of marriage have been hypocritical towards LGBT plus people and mistreated them. We reject this mistreatment and hypocrisy. Now, now, shouldn't we reject mistreatment and hypocrisy? Okay, sure. But you got to, here's what you have to, to realize. We reject this mistreatment and hypocrisy. There's no nuance there, no qualification, no cushioning, no walking on eggshells, no passivity, no trying to be authentic. Uh, it's just blatant. We reject. It is a thus. It, it's like as close to a thus saith the Lord as you get in the document, right? We reject. No if ands or buts. So, so this is the way that quote unquote, you know, homophobic views or people who are hypocrites and mistreat LGBT people. This is this is the way that you are supposed to re react towards them. We reject this mistreatment and hypocrisy. <laughs> Yet. Yet look at the way the sin that God calls sin in the Bible is treated with the tiptoeing and the eggshells. Don't assume that using the word gay or queer means that someone is making their attractions a part of their core identity. So, I mean, the way that everyone uses it in common discourse, you just can't assume that they're making it part of their core identity. I mean, they could be saying something else. They could be saying that they're just same-sex attracted and that it's not part of their core identity. And so maybe it's okay. And it's not, you know, maybe they should just change their language around a little. And it's, it's, it's more of a, a trimming on the corners than it is a, a full uh, makeover. Practical ministry questions. This is also speaking with Christians. So again, these are, these are Christians we're interacting with, not the world. Um, they, they mentioned Preston Sprinkle and, and cite his resources. Okay. It says, um, uh, ultimately, we want to help our disciples to identify with the pronouns and the name that corresponds to their birth sex. Yeah, that should be obvious, right? However, that may take years. Let me read that again. However, that may take years. Do not rush your disciple in this process. Seek wisdom and love in walking with them. So if you're discipling someone who is a Christian, who uses pronouns that aren't actually corresponding to their, uh, well, they say sex, I think here, but gender. Well, I, I'm okay using the way that the word used to be used. Um, then you shouldn't rush them because it may take years for them to actually operate based upon the pronouns that God, uh, th that would want them to use. That the, the, you know, Basically, let them operate in a lie for a few years. That's what it's saying. Let them operate in that lie for a few years. Gently try to confront is this an issue to play around with? I mean, this is so fundamental. This is so damaging. This is an emergency. And this, this is someone who's a Christian, okay, supposedly. This is someone, and, and you know what? Maybe there are Christians who are saved out of that who, you know, when they're new in the faith, they got to navigate this. But that should be a really early, obvious, I've got to change now because that's not who I am. That's not who God created me to be. But not according to crew. It could take years. Don't pressure them. Uh, we're about three quarters of the way through this. Um, and okay, so Doug Meeks is mad at me. That's okay. 
Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know pastoral application, I guess. Uh, well, I, I think actually the, the applications where the rubber hits the road and, you know, ha have I, uh, had to be, I'll get, let me give you a quick example, just a quick aside here personally, since my, uh, my experience is being called into question here. Uh, I, um, there was a, a man who considered himself homosexual that I knew for probably about six months in a um, in a friendly way. I would get together with him for breakfast, and uh, he worked at a, a gym that I went to. This is a few years ago, and um, I, I got together with him a few times, shared the gospel with him in no uncertain terms, and the homosexual issue came out pretty quickly. And I'm not going to give you the whole story here. But I was able very early on to be very direct with him about what that was and also to be very compassionate and understanding uh, with some of the experiences that had made it um, contributed to him, his confusion on this and his sin. It was sin. And I didn't, you know, I didn't mince words about it. Um, I my heart breaks for people who have been in situations where they've been abused sexually by relatives or by strangers in some cases. I've known people in both circumstances, many people, and it's becoming more common. My heart breaks for people who um, are confused because of the messaging of the world. And I am mad like truly mad in a righteous indignation kind of way that organizations like crew are willing to compromise on any level with that moral confusion. It makes the situation worse. And that's why it is not compassionate. What crew's doing is not compassionate. They're saying they're about compassion, but their protocols are not compassionate. It's everything they can do to stifle you and to, to limit you and to, um, try to uh, put off telling people the life-giving truth that they need, which is that they are in sin and they need Christ. And it, it can't just be Christ and we kind of you know soft pedal this sin. It's got to be sin and Christ. You, you, it's like trying to give people chemo, but you haven't told them they have cancer and they don't think they do. So that's my heart to heart with, uh, with anyone out there who, you know, is, is concerned about it. when you're sitting in a pastoral office, of course, you're going to, you're going to have all kinds of people come in that have all kinds of different sins. And you're going to have to counsel them on those sins. And you're going to have to be approachable, but approachability is not, uh, the kind of approachability you want is not an approachability that soft pedal stuff and that, well, he's approachable because he's not going to judge me for, for this, that, or the other thing. No, I'm not going to judge you, but I am going to take the word of God and I'm going to apply its judgment. And I'm not going to stand in the way in between that judgment because you need the full effect of it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been written there. It, the message is for you and it's not for me to water down. All right. So that that's my view on it. But um, let's uh, let's keep going. And, and, you know, maybe some people will disagree with with my approach. I think there is some room to uh, to have different specific approaches on some of this stuff. But crew is way out in left field here. Um remind yourself this is a tender vulnerable moment yeah um it, it, when uh when one of the movement leaders this is a not just a christian but a person who's a leader in crew comes out or wants to come out as gay or lesbian um it's a vulnerable moment yeah uh it's it, it's it's 
all these points about, you know, the compassion you're supposed to have and be basically slow about this whole thing. Um, having a leader that has come out may invite questions from other participants or from donors and other partners about crew's position on sexuality. So this is what some of you want to know about. Crew does have protocols. This is the first place I, I saw it for if you ask questions, if you're a donor and some of the donors might be listening right now and you call them up and say, Hey, I heard Rosaria Butterfield say that crew's compromised on this. What say you? They already have ready their narrative. Here's part of it. Crew has a very clear, concise answer regarding sexuality. Use it as an anchor that both guides and protects you. You can offer protects you. <laughs> you can offer this as the key talking point. Although there are many secondary questions that a ministry partner may ask for, which crew does not have a formal organizational position. You can use discretion on how you have ex an extended conversation beyond our short position statement. It says this is a good reminder that all conversations about Christian sexuality in our movement should contain information about same-sex attraction that is compassionate towards people and faithful in to, to scripture. It says having a movement-wide Christian sexuality teaching before you have a leader that comes out can help prepare your movement to support and encourage each leader in faithfulness, no matter their attractional patterns. It says you can communicate that crew believes that God calls all people to steward their sexuality through either faithful celibate singleness or faithful marriage between a man and a woman. So in other words, it's vague. <laughs> it's it's have a conversation, be compassionate, give them some things that are a little more hard, like, hey, we believe that, uh, you know, um, you, you, people should steward their sexuality through either faithful celibate singleness or faithful marriage. So there's that. But it's it, it's not getting at the root issues that this is what this is why I say, I think if you call them, you have to be very specific, you know, in this document, you say this, or you, or if you don't have a document, say, do ask the question, is same sex attraction sinful? Yes or no. I just want to know what crew stance is. Right. And don't, don't get by with, well, we're just having a conversation with a cup of coffee here and let's like, it's a, it's a pretty simple thing to navigate. Okay. Uh, what do I do when an LGBT individual who is a Christian has chosen to be single and celibate and wants to lead our movement, give them opportunities to develop a leadership track record. Let them lead. That's that's crew. Uh, what do I do if one of the leaders in my movement wants to pursue a same-sex sexual relationship? Well, remember that there is a distinction between experiencing same-sex attraction and choosing to pursue a same-sex sexual relationship. I mean, that's all throughout this whole thing. It's like that's that's the bridge too far is when it becomes sex, but before that, not so much. What do I do if one of my leaders? And by, and by the way, I should say that I, if I didn't say it before, um, I'm not giving. There are paragraphs. In, in answering these questions. I'm giving you things that stand out to me. I've known I've said this like two or three times, but um, you read the document for yourself. If you want to know all the things that crew saying about this, this isn't comprehensive because I would be here like five hours. This is just what actually, what stands out? What are the problems that need to be addressed mostly? Okay. So what do I do if one of my leaders in my movement wants to pursue a same sex dating relationship that is not sexual with that in mind? So it says, it is unwise to begin dating relationship with those who we know uh, we could not marry. This would include non-Christians as well as persons of our same sex. It's I, so, I mean, I'm glad they think it's unwise, but talk about kid gloves. Yeah. You know, if you, if you date someone uh, not wise, not wise, how about wrong? How about sinful? How about engaging in something God hates? How about toy eva? How about abomination? You know, or or a it's a mechanism to bring about an abomination. How about uh, causing others to stumble? How about 
uh, being about witness. I mean, the use of trans or transgender as a label can have multiple meanings in the honoring uh, way. Ask your movement leader if they come out as transgender about why they feel drawn to using this description of themselves. Okay, I mean, it's a good question, I guess, to ask them why, but but the why is going to be followed with, you can't do that. That's that's sinful, that's wrong, that's wicked, and everyone knows it. This, um, So there is a use of trans language that would not automatically disqualify someone from movement leadership. <laughs> I, I, I can't even, though it would be good to have conversations with your leader about how language choices take on extra weight in leadership positions. So consider the implications of saying you're trans. That's that's like what it's saying, basically. Consider, is that a good thing to, 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 to do? Because people might get the wrong idea. Instead of, dude, or like, knock it off. You know, this needs to be confronted. You need to, leadership needs to know. You're coming out as trans? Um, assess their willingness to adapt their language. So it may just be a language adaption that needs to happen there. What do I do if a movement participant who identifies as transgender wants to take on leadership or a teaching role in the movement? Whether or not your participant is ready or meets the criteria for leadership, encourage them in their relationship with Christ and their growth in him. I, I mean, that's fluff. I, it's just, it's not helpful. It doesn't address the situation. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's be good and don't be bad. <laughs> encourage courage, uh, walking with Christ. It's like, yeah, but what about the specific question we have here? Okay, what if some leaders in my movement hold to an affirming view regarding LGBT questions? Okay, so what if they uh, affirm homosexuality or transgenderism, et cetera? Um, when it comes to leaders who hold an affirming view, there are two opposite ditches we could fall off. So these are the ditches. So it's it's not just a blank, you know, this is wrong. It, there's ditches here. On the one hand, we could recognize that this leader is well-suited in every other aspect. How? <laughs> like it's... It, like, would you say that about any other sin? It's like, well, someone affirms that it's okay to steal. Well, they're well-suited in every other aspect. I mean, they're, they're not murdering. They don't think that adultery is right, but they, they, it's, you would never say that. And so um, anyway, on the one hand, we could recognize that this leader is well-suited in every other aspect and so want to excuse this one area of misalignment. On the other hand, we may be stringent in holding our leaders to alignment and yet not demonstrate sufficient process of our growth model of grace and truth over time to impact our leaders. If we have leaders or potential leaders who hold to an affirming view, we want to enter into a process. That's right. It always takes time, right? With them that prioritizes their growth as disciples and not merely leadership in our movement. How about they're not leadership anymore? How about that? They're disagreeing. I mean, if they're affirming this, the, a sexual relationship there and they're affirming transgenderism and stuff, they've already violated cruise documents. So this is what, I guess this is what you would do for people who even violate the document. It's like you enter into a process. It's this, it, it, it's unbelievable. I bet you if someone came out and said white people are supreme, they would be kicked out of crew in 0.5 seconds. Um, I happen to know people who were kicked out of crew very quickly, and they never said anything close to that. They just opposed the BLM narrative. We want, okay, so here's, here's the next one. Everyone is a spokesperson. We want to be known for what we are for rather than merely for what we are against. So that's a common tagline you'll, you'll hear. Unfortunately, you don't get to control actually what you're known for in every circumstance. The The world is looking for, the eye of Sauron is scanning for anything that does not comply with their, with the view of homosexuality that is out there. So if, or transgenderism. So if you um, deviate, you're going to be known for what you're against by the people who are scanning for that. 
you can't help that. You're going to be known for what you're against. Jesus was known for being against the Pharisees. Uh, it's okay to be known for what you're against and what you're for, okay? Um, th that's not a Bible verse, that you need to be known for what you're for and not which, for what you're against, but I hear it all the time. If you do speak, remember that this is a complex issue that requires careful nuance. I just highlighted that because it's all throughout the document. I, I skipped over so many times that that kind of language is used. Um, believe the best about the, let's see, uh, how, how should I relate to a campus administration, uh, administrations or other public secular institutions in regard to situations involving LGBT questions? So these are people at the campus who are not Christians, who are in positions of authority. What do you do? Believe the best about the institution and its leaders. Aim for partnering rather than adversarial posture towards the institution. Seek to find common ground. Th this is, I I'm going to say in a few years, I think this is going to be somewhat dated if it's not already. Th this kind of thing, to believe the best about the institution, you know, most college campuses now are essentially factories for producing social justice warriors. That's like, I'm not saying they don't do math and engineering and some other things, but if you're, especially if you're taking courses in like the humanities or history or the quote unquote social sciences. That's what it is. Okay. And to believe the best about the institutions and its leaders, there's sort of a naivety to that at this point. Like they have a mission that is a directly opposed to the mission that you have in most cases. And you have to be real. So if you're giving advice to someone, you have to at least acknowledge that, that, you know, you're in hostile territory here. And so behave the way a Christian behaves when they're in hostile territory. That doesn't mean you're a jerk at all, but it means that you probably shouldn't just automatically believe the best about the institution and its leaders when you live in an, an environment where they're actively pushing the LGBT stuff. What do I do when I'm asked by the media to come on LGBT? It's best to avoid making any public statements on the media to the media. If you are asked for an interview, please contact your supervisor. So there, there's, I, I guess I just pointed this out because uh, th that's an area of sensitivity. And actually that probably should be uh, to some extent, but, um, but I would prefer, I think most of us would prefer if you're funding this organization, Hey, that's an opportunity. You, that's an opportunity. The media is coming, man. Like, um, and I, and I have, there's times I have not talked to the media. Okay. So that I'm not saying in every circumstance, but it may be one of those things where like he, on an issue this clear and this, the, that the Bible, this clearly talks about, why not? Why not just have like a here? Here's a model statement that you can give. This is this is what crew believes about this. Uh, we do not believe in same sex relationships and hold your ground. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, th th this is a more of a preference thing. OK, this isn't like as big of a deal as some of the other things that I've talked about. But I do think that as Christians, th there is this uh, this cultivated cowardice that, that we have in many of our institutions where we, the relationship we have to the world is so like, we're trying to be winsome to them and win them over through, through, uh, you know, our art and our niceness and, uh, our activities and our relationships. And we want them to come in. And that's like the only posture we can possibly have. You read your new Testament. I mean, you don't find all this language about nuance and compassion and all this when it's surrounding topics of sin. Like I'm, it, I'm actually specifically thinking of like homosexual stuff. Like you don't, you see very direct language. Now, of course you see language of compassion in the new Testament um, where, when it comes to Christians, I mean, we're to encourage the faint hearted, right? That there, that's compassion, uh, encouragement, build them up is what it literally means. Um, we're to be patient with all men, right? That's some com compassion, right? That's a general command we have, 
but we're also to admonish the unruly. And if someone's advocating this stuff, that's unruly. Okay, how do I, uh, what do I do when I'm asked to comment about cruise stance on LGBT plus questions by supporters and friends of the cruise ministry? So here's the second place where you find the instructions given. If you're a donor and you call and you ask questions, they have their sheet ready. They have, this is what we're supposed to say to you. Remember that ministry partners approach this question with a variety of concerns. You might want to ask what prompts the question. So, so get into a conversation with them, basically. Uh, phone call is preferable to email. Um, I would say actually email is preferable to phone call because you can get direct answers and you have a paper trail. But um, but they you know get them on the phone. Uh, tone is important, right? Communicate that we are an evangelistic ministry called to communicate the good news of the gospel to everyone. That is our unique role within the body. To that end, we seek to be compassionate towards people and faithful to the scriptures. I mean, these are very general things. These won't answer the questions. Communicate that we believe that God's design for marriage is a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman. God calls all people to steward their sexuality in either faithful celibate singleness or faithful marriage between a man and a woman. That disciples are called to live in alignment with God's design. If they ask about our stance on legislation or related to same-sex marriage or other LGBT questions, remind them we're not a political organization. This is like, this all sounds good, but it is it does not get to the root issue of same-sex attraction if, if someone asks about that. So if you call, you're going to have to ask very specifically about that. What do I do if a supporter and friends of cruise ministry ask about cruise position on same-sex attraction? So this is where they try to get specific on this. Crew believes that God invites all people to sexual purity through the, either the practice of faithful singleness or the practice of faithful marriage. It's, it's a repeat of what we just saw. Uh, within this broader ethic, we believe that same-sex attraction is contrary to God's design for human sexuality. It represents a disordering of sexual desire in our fallen condition. It is neither morally neutral nor morally good. It would be helpful to add that from a discipleship perspective, we also believe that all Christ followers, including those who experience same-sex attraction, need encouragement, support, and love as they experience and seek to resist temptation. I have to say, that sounds, that the way that sounds is way more conservative and orthodox than what you find in the rest of this document, isn't it? And that's what you're supposed to say to the supporters when they call. I'm just saying, this is the, the this is the headache that uh, Southern Baptists go through and all kinds of people who say, hey, I, I, this kind of thing happened at my church and I'm asking questions and I'm getting either fluff or I'm getting, they're giving me like sort of conservative sounding answers. And that, that doesn't that doesn't seem congruent with the, the false teaching I just heard. And it's confusing me because they're acting like nothing changed, that there's no contradiction. I'm telling you, the, the donor, the donors who give to crew and the people crews trying to reach and the people that work for crew are on different pages, I think, uh, in general. Singleness. Many cultures teach that singleness leaves a person alone and unfulfilled. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the Bible kind of says. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone, right? <laughs> That's why he had a wife. The life of Jesus challenges this powerful cultural myth. So it's a cultural myth. Okay. He was single and celibate, yet he experienced fullness of life. Jesus helps us see that sex, romance, and marriage are not required for thriving. Sure, if you have the gift of singleness, if I mean by God's grace, you can get through trials. You can, but but that's again, it's it's like you we have scripture on this, right? Um, singleness actually does leave a person alone in a sense. It doesn't mean that God can't be there with them, right? But God's, it doesn't mean that God can't help them through that. It doesn't mean that God can't teach patience. It doesn't mean that maybe God can't give the gift of singleness, but it does leave a person like in alone. Like that, that is, um, unfortunately, and, and, and then some of the cruise material that they give out, uh, to in, in the previous documents I showed you, 
is material on, um, you'll find substitute language. You'll find like, well, you know, I'm same sex attracted. I might not get married, but here are some, they, I don't even know if they say substitute, but here are some like alternatives. Here, here are some things you can do. You can have these, these partnerships with other people and it's not sexual. So it's okay. And you can have fulfilling friendships and pursue those. And none of those, I'm just going to say, none of those are substitutes for God's created design. They're just not. Um, they're great things to have, though. So uh, we shouldn't. We should be careful of not giving the impression that they are. All right. Well, that's all I wanted to highlight in this. There is much more. And I, if you follow me on social media, links are in the info section for this video or uh, podcast audio. Um, you will find uh, a post there soon this afternoon where you can um, uh, find all this stuff. Now, I'm going to go through a few other things that are publicly available, but uh, I do want to see if there's questions out there um, before uh, we we go forward. So any questions, I'm looking for question marks in the comments, and I'll be sure to try to address. Um, Christian Mama says, when is the last time I heard a pastor speak about the dangers of hell? It's not often. That's for sure. It is not often. Um, I, I think that, uh, that's probably one of the most neglected things. Um, let's see. I, I don't know what this is in reference to. Doug Meek seems to have a problem with me, but, which is fine, but I, I don't know what all his uh, comments are in reference to necessarily. He doesn't think I'm reading in context. Well, it, the, the public document's going to be there very soon. So if people want to challenge me on it, that's perfectly fine. But, um, uh, I think I've been as as true to it as, as I know how to be. And um, even at, like I said, I've said this like three or four times. If you don't agree with every single thing I said, uh, it, it's like there's some very, very uh, over the line things in that document. Like any believer should be able with any ounce of discernment should be able to see this is a big problem. Um, even if, you you know, some of my uh, some of my points you don't like or whatever. Uh, Elijah, uh, Grakowski says, I supported a crew staff member for 25 years and then stopped in 2020 with the BLM stuff. I, I know of many such cases, unfortunately. Um, let's see. We have uh, Christian mom again. So John, do born again, Christians affiliated with crew, should they leave the organization? I think I'm going to save that to the end. Uh, what should they do? So yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Doug, for the $5 d donation. I appreciate that. Um, all right, so we're going to um, we're going to go further into this, and uh, not that document, but some of the publicly available documents that Crew has that that you can or, or Crew supports, I should say. Um, I did want to point out that I did find out that there, if you just go to the Crew website and type in Preston Sprinkle. Um, in, in June of July of 2021, now crew does a lot of training. So I'm not saying all the trainings are like this or anything, but they had the Institute of biblical studies, which exists to help develop Christ-centered missionaries. So it's missions training. They did a course and one of the required readings, which was a Rachel Gilson article in Christianity Day, an interview with Preston Sprinkle. So if, you know, some of this stuff is getting into like, not just here, here's what our staff, here's, here's like a, a reference point for staff who are dealing with these issues, but you know, he, here's training, actual training for some of the staff. So I don't know how extensive that is. Um, but, uh, and, and I, ironically, I don't know, well, it's not you know, ironic, but oddly, I guess, uh, crew Singapore, their media ministry, 
they have a bunch of stuff that's like like they sell these books. I don't know why it's unique to Singapore, but um, it is crew. Uh, Living in a Gray World by Preston Sprinkle, they sell on their website. They sell Single Gate Christian, and there were a few other books. And Single Gate Christian, I've reviewed on the podcast. That's a, that's an awful book, uh, in my opinion. Now, um, there are some pastoral papers that they suggested. These are p- papers that you can share with people and with crew stamp of approval. These have been vetted. Okay, these are from Preston Sprinkle's ministry, if you want to want to call it a ministry. And um, one of them, this one is called uh, Pastoral Paper on, written by Preston Sprinkle on a biblical conversation about transgender identity. So I, we, we are running out of time very quickly. I'm just going to go to one place, though, that I highlighted on this. He says, sex difference is upheld and celebrated while cultural stereotypes of gender expression are resisted and sometimes confronted. Um, again, we shouldn't force everyone into narrow gender stereotypes that come from culture and not the Bible. So I wanted to just point out again, the posture here, when it comes to gender expression and stereotypes, those should be resisted and confronted. That kind of language is not used of confronting LGBT stuff. It's used of confronting gender stereotypes. They're they're much more aggressive against gender stereotypes than LGBT stuff. That should like clue you into it. There's a huge, huge problem here. Here's another one that crew uh, puts its stamp of approval on. This is written by Nate Collins and Greg Coles. Uh, So this is uh, on same-sex attraction or is being gay a sin. Here's some of the things. It says, by coming to understand that same-sex orientation is not itself sinful and by banishing the phrase being gay is a sin from our Christian vocabulary, we will be far better equipped to guide those both within and beyond the walls of our church into deeper relationships with Christ. These These are all pastoral implications, right? So, so often, you know, you hear, you know, I'm going to be pastoral. It's like you put on that compassion, that human, that good bedside manner kind of voice. And, and this is what they're saying ought to be the application of their teaching here. First, re- recognize that same-sex orientation is not a sin. will free sexual minorities within our congregations from the burden of unnecessary guilt and shame. So if you experience same-sex orientation, no guilt or shame with that. It is possible to repent of the sinful byproducts of same-sex orientation and to, to journey into a deeper intimacy with Christ without also repenting of same-sex orientation and becoming straight. Uh, so you don't need to conform to God's design or think of yourself that way. You can still be same-sex attracted and have that orientation and be perfectly fine as a believer without sin. Uh, if a same-sex oriented woman is told that her capacity for same-sex lust is already sinful, she may be more likely to give in to lustful thoughts or to sexual activity because she feels she has already sinned by merely noticing her orientation. That is such a pragmatic argument. Like it's, it's, it's like this, this, if, you know, but scenario, like if she does this, uh, or, or, you know, if, and she'll do this. Um, I just, I don't have words. It's like, would you do this with any other sin? I guess just put the shoe on the other foot. It's like, oh no, if we, you know, I'm, I'm just a, uh, you know, I, I have a white supremacist orientation. I, I like to use that one, not because I like to pick up, pick on that, uh, th- that philosophy or that way of thinking. If, if it is, I don't even know if it's a philosophy, but that, that buzzword, because the world picks on that all the time, but it's because I know crew has a weak spot in this area. Like that's the thing that they're afraid of. So if I just substituted that something that they consider very bad and said, you know, I'm a white supremacist oriented Christian or whatever, you know, and, and the capacity for white supremacy is sinful. If, if that's sinful, then 
man, I, I might just go burn a cross somewhere or do, you know, like that's so stupid. It's that's the word for it. It is stupid. Um, how about if it's a, if it's a minor sin or, and when I say minor, no sin is minor. So a, a lesser sin, it has a lesser penalty, a lesser civil penalty. It is a few steps before, let's say, um, committing the, the act in the flesh, but it's, it's still a sin. Jesus said, looking with lust sin, why don't you just say nip it in the bud? Not even a hint of sexual morality. How about that? And maybe that should do what the Bible says and inspire you to avoid the greater sins out there. Fourth, by correcting the false belief that same-sex orientation is sinful, we become able to address and challenge the sins of pride and homophobia among heterosexual Christians. <sighs> Finally, once we recognize that being gay is not a sin, we will be far better situated to engage in missional conversations with sexual minorities outside the church. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to be a better witness and we're going to be able to confront, you know, heterosexual sin better. And it's just going to be so great once we realize that same sex orientation or homosexual orientation isn't really a sin. Here's another document. I only have, I think, two more that I wanted to show you. Uh, this is should Christians attend a gay wedding ceremony, a same sex wedding ceremony? The conclusion is, I believe that there's six options that we can be faithful to the biblical view that marriage is between two sexually different persons, as long as you don't send mixed signals to the couple getting married. Again, we are talking about something that's not specifically discussed in scripture. Now, if you want to know what these six options are and whether or not some of them include attending the wedding, yes. <laughs> Even though at the beginning, there's all this language about like, I wouldn't do that. I don't like, I don't think it's, it, it's obviously I disapprove of that. And then you get like, well, there's all these options. You can go to this, to the wedding uh, or go to the, uh, the reception without going to the wedding, or you can go to the wedding while at least telling the people that are being married that you object and you like, so yeah, I guess, I guess you, you, there's circumstances for attending. And then here's another document. This is by Robert Smith, a pastoral paper on guidance for churches on baptism, membership, uh, on communion leadership for transgender people. And he says at the end, uh, we are to pursue psycho, man, I can't even say it, psychosomatic wholeness. That means welcoming our biological sex as a good gift of God and aligning our gender in all its aspects and manifestations with that sex. Um, so again, it's the separation of gender and sex, uh, that, that they, it, it's that same and in psychosomatic probably is the right word for it. Um, because you're, you're doing psychology at that point. This isn't, what's the biblical way to approach this? What is, what is what we're called to do from the Bible about this? And yes, there's Bible verses cited in this, but some of them, you know, they're not the ones that should be applied. Like for instance, Isaiah 56 to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and names better than sons and daughters. Okay, obviously that's, you know, that's not transgenderism. And, and, and then they say, well, it's not transgenderism, but hey, there's a connection here. Like it's verses like that don't help. Like what actual things from the Bible help you with this? If you are struggling with this, we're well, supposed to mortify the flesh, right? You're supposed to put to death the deeds of the flesh that wage war. Um, you're supposed to, uh, those who are spiritual are supposed to restore the person who is in these situations. So someone who doesn't have that problem is the one that should help you overcome that problem. Um, you know, you should uh, put your mind on the things uh, of Christ, uh, where Christ is, Philippians 4. I mean, there's so many passages that address this kind of thing. And it's not about aligning your gender with your sex as if there's like two different things it's about acknowledging who god made you to be 
he made you a man or he made you a woman. It's just an, an acknowledgement. I believe a lie. Now I need to believe the truth. That's what it is. It's not like, well, I, I have this, this sex that's fixed in this way. And I believe that now, but I also have this gender thing that's not, and I need to kind of work at this, but it's, it's a separate thing. It's like this separate part of me. Um, and it, it's like, no, no, there, that's, that's just, there's just sin. That's all it is. You sin, you believe a lie, conform to what the truth is. All right. So these are all, uh, the, the pastoral papers are uh, linked on the crew website actually. So, um, at least one of them I found fairly easily on the crew website. So I think that that's, uh, that that's a simple thing. Um, I will take any questions. I will answer the question that I was asked earlier. I said, I'd answer at the end. Should you still be involved with crew? Here's the thing about it. Um, crews of large organization. It's like asking, should I be involved with the SBC or any large Christian organization? Um, some will claim that the doctrine of separation means absolutely. Yes. There's a compromise somewhere. Even if it's a small one, you must get out of there. I mean, I guess if you work for Liberty university and there's another professor who's teaching something bad, you you're connected to them, get out. I don't necessarily think that here's what I do think though. Um, I do think that you can't have fellowship with darkness and that's the question you have to ask. Are you having fellowship with darkness by being part of crew? Now, what the kinds, how you'd answer that question would be examining, um, in your neck of the woods on your campus with your leadership, what is, what is being involved with crew look like? Um, now I'm not aware. I know I've been told, I think in the past, but if you have a donor, you know, are you getting a hundred, how much of that money are you getting? Like how much of that is going to your ministry? If you're faithful in the ministry somewhere and how much of it is going towards the organization at the top for funding these kinds of nonsense things. That's another question you need to ask yourself. You know, am I asking donors to fund something that's against what they and I believe and the scripture teaches? Um, the other thing you can ask is, is there any sign that crew's going to stop doing this and do an about face and repent? And that repentance needs to be immediate and it needs to be public at least because much of what I shared with you in, in the last part of this podcast was public. So that's the other question I think you need to, um, just think through and, and you need to confront it. Now, if you don't get anywhere in the confrontation and you find out I work for an organization that's not going to budge on this, they're funding this stuff. Then I think, yes. Uh, at that point, I think it would be wise to leave. If you, if, um, I, I think this with crew, the ship has probably already sunk in a way because of the failure of the group. And when I say failure, I don't mean that they failed in disseminating their message, but they failed to reform crew, uh, of the concerned group that, uh, in 2020, 2021, uh, put out a document to try to, um, internally to try to persuade crew to uh, take the the pedal, bring their foot off the pedal of the gas uh, of the gas of the uh, woke stuff, and to slow it down, put on the brake. That didn't really work out, and so I think that that is is just a sign. And I, I happen to know many other things behind the scenes that caused me to also say that. But um, with this particular issue, uh, has it been confronted? I know some of you might want to know, and the answer is, uh, I believe so. Yes, in fact, I know it has uh, at the higher levels. Yes. Um, uh, by multiple people, I believe so. And uh, there may be more information on that coming. But uh, as far as it goes now, I mean, this is the information that crew has put out there. And they just need to do something very simple. And it's something that I think all of Christians should be used to doing. Apologize, repent, move on. If they do that, then, you know, that's a sign that 
the organization is an organization you can partner with because they're behaving in a Christ-like manner. But if they cover up, if they deny, if they disguise, if they deflect, nope, that's not the organization you want to be in. And I do happen to know many crew staff who've gone to other organizations or they've talked to their donors and they say, this is what's happening. I'm leaving. Will you still support me? I'm going to start a 501c3. And that does happen. I mean, donors will. One guy told me recently, 100% of his donors left with him. So that's another thing. Um, and it may even be, be a better arrangement. Everyone I know who's left does not regret it. Uh, so um, that's all I have for the podcast today. Uh, if there's any uh, other questions, I'll try to get to them now. Um, is it true that crew kicked out Josh McDowell uh, of the org? I don't know that he's kicked out of the organization. I think he was reprimanded and put on some kind of like a probation period. Like he wasn't allowed to speak or something like that. But I don't think he was kicked out of the whole organization. Um, that's a, that's, I did, I did a podcast on that a while back. Uh, the problem is the individual leaders need to be held accountable to biblical appointed elders. What churches do these people go to? That's a good point. That's one of the issues I've had with campus organizations that do not partner with local churches for a while. If the church wants to use a campus organization to benefit their ministry, that's great. If members of a church want to do that, I'm, I'm, I have been involved recently um, not really since the summer because of personal situations and just time, but I, I, I hope to be involved again in a ministry at the Culinary Institute of America. And at that particular ministry, um, there is no affiliation with an outside group. I know there's groups that have wanted to affiliate, but it's just, you know, church related uh, stuff. And the, the church oversees it and the church is, you know, it, 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 there's a great relationship, better than any other campus ministry I've been a part of. And I've been a part of probably... I don't know, um, at five. So um, it's the best I've seen. And so, yes, I think that in many cases, you do not need one of these organizations. Uh, if you're a small church and you could use the resources, then make sure you're using the resources and the organization isn't using you or replacing you. That's uh, it, Ministry is supposed to be done through the church. So that's exactly right. Um Adam asks, uh, trans kids don't deserve to be saved. I don't know where you're getting that. Uh, so people who think of themselves as trans, because no one is, people are the gender God made them to be. Uh, someone who thinks of themselves and thinks there's something that they're not, just like someone who thinks that they should have the right hand cut off or something like that, um, they're in error. They're believing a lie and lies are sinful. And so uh, they, no one actually deserves to be saved technically, but they have, those people who have that sin have the same opportunity to repent that uh, anyone else has with any other sin, right? They can repent of it. And there are people who have considered themselves trans who do not now, who have repented and they've come to Christ. Okay. Um, I think that's all the uh, questions. Uh Doug says that Crew Singapore also sells Rosario's book. I wonder if it's Rosario's new book, though, because her old books contain some of these uh, same, some of the errors that we've been discussing. Um, <laughs> and he wants to know what staff members gave me access. Yes, I'm, I'm sure that people within Crew would love to know what staff members gave me access to the documents. Um, all right. So, yeah, I'm obviously not answering that. That's, uh, that's not even that's not a question I'll entertain whether or not they did or didn't is uh, something for them if they gave me anything to share. But uh, this is something that I think um, everyone at uh, 
who's supporting crew, I think has a right to know. They need to know that this is, this is you're funding it if you're a donor, okay? You're the one that's actually paying for this organization to operate. And, um, and, and you, these are the, the kinds of things, if there's compromise internally going on, especially, you need to know about that. It makes sense of some of those things you've heard. It makes sense of the Rachel Gilson thing we, uh, we watched from, what is it, 2019 or something, but it was from a crew event. Uh, it was a few, it, maybe it was last week, I did it with Jared Moore. We reviewed this Rachel Gilson thing, and it was at crew. And um, it makes sense of that kind of thing, you know, and when Rachel Gilson is confronted on it, she comes out with this orthodox sounding statement, but it's like, that's not what you said in your teaching and you haven't actually rejected your teaching. So that it just takes a little humility and repentance, but that, that seems a hard thing for people to do. Well, we've been going over an hour and a half. We got to stop. We got to land this plane. I hope that was helpful for you all out there. I know I may take some shots for this one uh, and I'm okay with that. Um, it's not about me. None of this is about me. And like I said, you're free to disagree with any of my analysis, but the truth is the important thing. And that's why, uh, follow me on social media. The links are in the info section and you will have access to those documents within the next hour. Um, if you want to support, uh, what I do, I mean, you're not going to get this information in many other places. Uh, the Patreon link is, is there as well. I appreciate everyone who has supported me, especially, um, during this hard time with my family. It's just been moving into the holidays. I just appreciate your prayers. It's been difficult uh, with the passing of my mother-in-law and, uh, and some other things. So um, God bless. More coming. Bye now. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.